0: Welcome to the battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It's uh, huh, winter has arrived. It is about as cold as it's been all year. But we got a really, really white hot show because a lot of big news this week, and our panel is all here. Which means Claire Zoki our healthcare director here at Citizen Action is with us. Claire. Hello. Hello. And Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to see you. Good
1: day, everyone.
0: All right. We have a lot to talk about. Um, we are going to talk about the uh, spring uh, primary that we had here. A uh, lot of big news and we're going to dive into that and particularly look at some implications going forward. Um, We also have uh, some activity in the legislature we'll get to later in the show, including um, some stuff around mass incarceration and some other bills that we will talk about. But we're going to get the show started by uh, talking about that event that occurred the other night. Uh, We record Thursday morning, Wednesday night, that Democratic presidential primary. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, from Mandalay Bay, Las Vegas...
1: Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Holy
0: smokes, that was... (laughs) I just had to (laughs) to get started because I got to say, I almost was not going to watch the debate. I was at the art bar with my wife having some cocktails and the debate got started. It was super loud, so I quickly left and went home and holy smokes, I've never seen a democratic debate like this. <laughs> the punches were out from the very beginning. Claire, your initial thoughts. Have you I mean, first of all, have you seen anything like this in a presidential I, no. Democratic debate? I understand Trump, this was happening, uh happens probably all the time. But uh your thoughts, Claire.
2: Yeah, this, uh, this, I've never seen anything, at least in my recent memory, uh, like this debate. It was thoroughly exciting. Um, I mean, it was definitely good TV. Uh, I I hope it's also good for the party. But,
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> but We can get into that later, whether this was, was good or not. I, I agree with you. It was scintillating. Yeah. I couldn't go away from it.
2: Uh, Yeah, so my my very high level takeaways were um, I think that these other the Dem candidates were really excited to have Bloomberg on the debate stage. (laughs) They've clearly been chafing under the collar to (laughs) to take (laughs) swipes at him for months now, and they haven't been able to because he hasn't been on the first two ballots or the first what seven debate stages.
0: Welcome to the (laughs) stage, uh, Mayor Bloomberg.
2: (laughs) Right, I know you you're like feeling good because you're rising in some polls and whatnot, but like we've been out here doing this for over a year, and you. You are a newbie still. My second big takeaway is that Elizabeth Warren came to fight... And I loved every second of it. You can't see me, but I'm here. It's like snapping for her, right? Like, like Elwood style, like, yes, snaps for you. Um, Liz Warren um, and uh, my uh, sort of another like mini rivalry now that I am here for that I feel like was not going to get a lot of attention is Klobuchar versus Buttigieg. We're going to talk about yeah.
0: that because yeah. that so, was uh, actually. I am so
2: excited about the, under,
0: the undercard. Yeah, Robert, why don't you take up on that?
1: Well, I was going to say first a little bit on on Bloomberg. Go for it. I do think this is a man who is so powerful that no one's ever spoken to him this way in, in decades. Like he seemed woefully <laughs> unprepared. Like his team had not even maybe they tried it. He didn't listen. What this was going to be like. He didn't even have his you know thirty second rejoinder. His pivot to a different issue. And it was literally like, since you did WWF there, Matt, like when the uh, the favorite is like on the canvas and they're just kicking them endlessly, you know, like you know, you're doing fake uh, wrestling, right? <laughs> yeah. Where it was weird.
0: <laughs> I heard someone use the analogy, it's like when the eye gets cut open, they just kept going for the but, eye and yeah. pounding at it. It wasn't like, oh, oh okay, you're bleeding, let's let's give you a little break here and then elizabeth my
1: god (laughs) she was phenomenal disclosure
0: agreement just phenomenal i
1: mean and then and then biden (laughs) of all people backed her up it was (laughs) like a complete mobbing (laughs) it was
0: no that look i'll i just want to add it was great to see them all go after bloomberg and with such great clarity and honesty and truth about like what I think a lot of us have been feeling about this guy coming <laughs>
1: coming into this race, but like he didn't prep. Like, was there yeah. any debate prep? I'm guessing they prepped him. I know I know Claire has campaign experience, and he just was <laughs> impervious. What well, do you think?
2: Look, I think it was very clear <laughs> going in that there were two things that he was 100% guaranteed to ed- get asked about, and yes. it was stop and frisk and how he treated women in the That's... workplace. And the fact that he got both of those questions in the exact same way that all of us anticipated that he did, and he used ju- – not only did he answer them poorly and, not, and just, like, not uh, – able to defend his indefensible positions, but he used, like, the worst possible words. It sounded to smug
1: and arrogant. And yeah.
2: to do it. it was just, it was so, so These cringy. These
1: non-disclosure agreements were <laughs> voluntary. know, saying We're not
2: saying you make them talk, you remove any legal restrictions like, you I
1: have did, on them to talk. I didn't do anything
2: wrong, <laughs> except maybe tell some jokes that people that didn't like. the whole like. audience
1: reacted. Yeah. He goes, except oh. maybe to bad jokes. I <laughs> so was like,
2: which I, I mean, I mean, look, it's in all seriousness. Here's here's one of the reasons why I'm glad we did this, right? Is because or why those candidates did that. Um, I, I feel like <laughs> we the, all felt the ownership. Royal though, yes, we, yes, yes, we as um, the
1: Democrats, are you saying versus Bloomberg? Yes. Yeah. Um,
2: here's why I'm glad that the the, the other Democratic candidates did this, um, is because there. I think that the anybody but Trump stuff is actually in Bloomberg's case, a little bit dangerous because it gives us leeway to forgive a lot of really bad behavior. And one of the strengths that we have right now in this party and as people who oppose Donald Trump is the moral upper hand. And I am not willing to give that up so easily. And it is worth having an honest conversation about one of our own candidates not meeting our own standard. And if he becomes our nominee, I think we lose that upper hand. We lose the upper hand with how he treats women. Um, we we lose it with somebody um, who... Uh, it, it, was not really a Democrat in a lot of ways and certainly hasn't been based on the letter next to his name for a long time. Um, We lose it with how he um, treats people who are not rich white people Uh, like we, I I think that we need to not give up um, that moral high ground so easily. It'll be
1: a barometer of how healthy our democracy is and the Democratic side, because if he can spend his way out of this, this ad- abysmal performance, and keep buying his way out of it and have lines and lines of high-credibility people stand up on the stage without batting an eyebrow and saying that this guy is great on women's issues, and we forgot about the redlining thing, that... It, is one of the worst. Let me now let, let me not prioritize worse here, and then Matt mentioned in this debate the side cards or the, the, the you know which were also fascinating. I want to start though with Elizabeth. Finally, we have to start with Elizabeth because. Uh, let's
0: just let. Can we all just agree yeah. that she was the? the, I real think the biggest winner, like the biggest winner last night, just in terms yeah. of. Unbelievable performance. And Bernie
1: did his usual good performance, but it was it was it was his typical performance. He's steady, right? She has tried to take this other conciliatory role and kind of disappear on the stage and in, in some pre, in a last couple debates. And now she's her real fighting self. And the way she went after. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Budaj and Klobuchar for their health care plans for the PowerPoint health plan that is Budaj and the post-it note, note oh, man. plan here. Oh, the and the PowerPoint. That is, and yes. that's the problem with uh, both of them, but especially Klobuchar, because she's right. Buttigieg Plans are light. Hers are virtually non-existent. They really are in post-it notes. I, her little <laughs> retort about where post-it notes were invented was cute, but didn't quite get to the problem. No. <laughs>
2: it reminds me of uh, like when you're in college or in high school and you're writing a paper and you're writing the outline and but you don't know what to write yet, and so you have like a really good idea of your intro and a really good idea of your conclusion, and the middle part is like, and here's where I write the paper.
1: The best healthcare plan ever. Insert. <laughs> Here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Done. I feel so good about myself.
1: Now,
0: we, we're going we'll definitely go into the next segment on this. But I do, as long as we're talking about Klobuchar, because she had a fascinating night. Like there were some moments where, like, she was visibly shaking. Right? She was so angry at Buttigieg, and you wanted Claire, you wanted to talk more about this because this was a fascinating dynamic. Because Buttigieg is clearly sees the writing on the wall that we talked about last week. Yeah. That. Pfft, you know and she is a part of taking his yeah. heir along with Bloomberg. So Claire, your thoughts?
2: So my, I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, so, uh, you know, preface this all with um, A.B. Klamashar is not, is not my candidate. Um, I have a lot of feelings about the fact that she also has a background as a prosecutor just like Kamala Harris, but has escaped um, the same level of criticism not for, for like right. a year now on yeah. that issue that Kamala Harris faced from, from day one. And maybe that part of that is because Kamala is like more recently a prosecutor. But like, I also think it maybe has to do with like race. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right? But um, But anyway, so right, so she's not my candidate. I think there are issues there. But I will say that she is a she is a longtime public servant. She is qualified to be on that stage, at least um, based on her experience as a public servant and and um, the type of qualifications that people usually have when they run for president of the United States. And Pete Buttigieg, in my mind, I have said this before, benefits from the uh, from his inexperience because there's not a lot of track record there to criticize him on. Um, I think we don't make enough of the record that is there and how and how poor it is, um, especially um, his time as mayor. Um, and and I can see Amy being really frustrated that um you know her that her career in public service um, as a senator is you know that that she is polling. Below somebody like Pete Buttigieg, who is this much younger person with much less experience, and, and and so I'm glad that she was like, "Who are you to be standing here and telling me, you know, that that I'm not smart or making fun of me?" Well, that's what I'd say for and, now. I know and, we have to break. And this
0: happened within the context of the the her her issue around uh, not knowing the president of Mexico. But yeah. we got to take a break right here. Uh, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're talking about Buttigieg and Klobuchar, which, you know, probably uh, last night I might not have thought before the debate we'd talk at all about that, but it's an interesting dynamic because it also is occurring within another fascinating dynamic that's playing out, and that is with Bloomberg coming in and everybody else being split up, divided up, this is just a clear pathway for Sanders uh, to 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 really gain momentum and become the leader while they're all cut up in the sa- It's kind of the same way it happened right for the Republicans in 2016, um, and so in that way, Sanders last night did win right like in some ways in terms of just the overall dynamics and the fact that the moderates showed they're not going away they're there to fight and they're going to fight bloomberg sort of coming in and just sort of buying his way into that position Mm -hmm. which i think bodes well for sanders the other one person and then robert i'll throw it back to you is biden was feisty last night and had had some moments i don't know that it leads to anything necessarily we'll see um but he um he was re- he 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 really went after Bloomberg in a way that
1: I thought was um, showed some spark finally, Robert. And we'll get to Bernie. I will say later that Bernie could actually sew up the nomination in two weeks, especially with the moderate wing or whatever they're calling it, path uh, not clearing the field for Bloomberg or anyone else. In fact, uh, one of the attacks on Bloomberg was that there was a memo from his campaign asking all the moderates to get out of the way so that Mike could be coronated as the nominee. That worked out well. That was a really good memo. But literally, with Texas and California delegates and in California, Bernie could have a big enough lead to take all the delegates in California. This could be over. And so it's fascinating, and the establishment Democratic Party going crazy, and you saw they damaged... It, uh, probably general election a little bit with Bernie with their attacks on Bernie around their complete mischaracterization of of what his democratic socialism is, which is also would quite frankly make LBJ a socialist. Okay, just to be a democratic socialist, just to be really clear about this, uh, Medicare was con- considered socialism. Ronald Reagan said so and tried to prevent it from ever becoming law. But let's talk about the byplay between these candidates, right? Elizabeth did get a really good zinger off where she said that, First, you had the Post-it note and the PowerPoint health plan from Buttigieg and, and uh, Klobuchar, but then Bernie won't admit there's any problem with getting it done and as people attack anyone who talks about how to actually do it, which was a really good zinger back on all the attacks on her for daring to have a funding plan for Medicare for All and a transition plan that is still very fast, right? So yeah. that was, she, she's she been holding that one for a while, but she made it both ways. Buttigieg tried to do that too to attack Bernie and um Bloomberg at the same time in his things. Uh, but what's interesting with uh, what Claire was saying, which is fascinating about Buttigieg and Klobuchar, they're both kind of very adept, very uh, articulate, one-liner kind of politicians, very good persona, different persona, both of them. And so in a way, they're, even though they're different personas, there's, there's a lot of similarity. And so it really was one-liners back and forth and forth. So Buttigieg would all happy to jump on her not knowing that, uh, that that Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico, uh, but then she was back at him um, at similar intensity, and there was a thing where where Elizabeth tried to save her. So she's shown Elizabeth has shown you know woman solidarity, uh, and I think it's authentic, but it's also good politics. He's legit on that one. Yeah, but then the reporter who asked the question started saying, but she didn't talk about <laughs> Mexican policy either. And you saw Klobuchar, like, <laughs> looking like she couldn't get edge wise. They gave it to Biden, and oh. she looked like she was going to burst oh. because she couldn't, like, fire back at that.
2: Can I say Can I say one more thing about Bloomberg? <laughs> like, no, Why not? Oh, okay. pile on the on. Canvas. Know, He's still on, I on think, the canvas. I think Good. Was, Kick
1: him. I He's think, still down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think this is really important. Um... Uh, so we talk a lot about uh, Michael Bloomberg's racist policies as they relate to stop and frisk, but something we don't talk about is um, his um, racist policies as they relate to Islamophobia and surveillance of Muslim communities in New York City. And I think this is a really big deal. And, and I don't know why um, it doesn't get as much play, um, maybe because stop and frisk is so uh, widely practiced in other parts of the country, including Wisconsin and Milwaukee, which we'll talk about later, but... Um, But but in sort of in the post 9-11 period, um, there was a period of time when he was mayor of New York for for three terms. um, And he he actively worked with, I think, the CIA to surveil the Muslim community in New York City. And that included um, putting undercover agents in places where people would congregate, um, you know, like coffee shops and nightclubs um, in people's homes and schools. Right. I mean, it it was really an in-depth, long lasting operation that is beyond um, unconstitutional. Like, we're not supposed to spy. The government is not supposed to spy on our own people. And if there's anything we can agree with as Americans, I think we deserve to not be spied on by our government. And, you know, so, look, cybersecurity and cyber spying, and we're all, you know, um, you know, are people listening? We make jokes about this all the time. But this is about very real, like, actively having agents on the ground in New York City spying on American citizens because of their religion and the color of their skin. And we aren't talking about... About that.
1: I agree. And I hope Democrat consultants aren't telling them to avoid that because of Islamophobia, but that's entirely possible. Uh, so it needs to come out, needs to be discussed on a national stage. Uh, on stop and frisk, though, to give Biden a little more cred, Matt mentioned this. Boy, he really drew blood on the <laughs> lame attempt by uh, Bloomberg to claim that he had changing of mind on stop and frisk yes. and talked about how the Obama administration had to essentially force his hand and audit the program. And so well, he that, talked
0: about the protesters that yeah. like, took over, you know, City Hall and stuff yeah. Over this,
1: like, you know, to change this, his story. He his, said
2: he said he's sorry about the way it ended. Yeah. He didn't and say way he way was, was sorry that he did it in the first place. And the way Elizabeth
1: frisks. said what, a po- what a pr- apology requires, which you hardly ever hear, apology does require an admission of guilt, an explanation of. What was the reason, or what you didn't understand? That it's convincing that I now have learned from it and my journey and are moving forward. And she was great saying you did—you were disappointed by the outcome, but the intent it, you're fine with.
2: And on that point, um, the the organization Black Women for, which is an incredible of uh, group of women who have endorsed Elizabeth Warren um, in recent uh, days, have actually explicitly said, you know, one of the reasons why we support Elizabeth Warren is because she knows how to own her mistakes and she knows how to apologize and then she authentically listens to us so that she can learn how to not make those same mistakes again and I think that is so important for any candidate, any person living a public life. Um, If you want to represent as one person a plethora of communities. You need to be able to authentically engage with those communities, and a part of that is being open to making mistakes, being told you're making mistakes, and then learning how to fix them. And isn't
1: it great that stop and frisk is a huge negative issue? Isn't uh, that revolutionary? And even though we're not doing it in Wisconsin yet, doesn't it show mass incarceration is uh, disincarceration is yeah. actually possible?
0: That's what I wanted. I, I wanted to at least underline that, that that was a really highlight that even the yeah. mass incarceration is out there as a real term and we're, we're, get, we're pushing it because we know and we hear it all the time from candidates even who you know uh, people of color candidates who come in here and talk to us about safety as an issue that we have a lot of work to do uh, with the public on that issue right where their first inclination isn't more police to make me more safe and so I'm really thrilled that the Democrats are actually having a debate about this and talking about mass incarceration, talking about stop and frisk in a way that hopefully starts to get people to help make connections about how we're all in this together in many ways. Um, any other thoughts uh, on this particular aspect of, of the debate? Because I do want to get folks thought on going forward, right? We have this huge, uh, very important uh, caucus, um, which... Uh, what do we expect? <laughs> do we think the
1: caucus is going to work? <laughs> Most of the votes may have occurred already because yeah. of the massive early voting, and because of the co- problems with a caucus system. Look, it looks like Bernie is doing really among, among, well among Latino voters, who, um, as some have pointed out, is partly because uh, it, it's because it's the, it's the youngest population in the U.S., and Bernie does very well with young people. But even more than that, it's the journey of Bernie Sanders, who came into 16 as a traditional white populist from a very uh, not a diverse state and has really worked on learning to be better at addressing uh, the concerns of people of color. Uh, But literally, that's why he can win Nevada and California and Texas and end this race. And that's why the next two weeks in some ways are the most important two weeks in the modern history of the party, because there's going to be an attempt to completely KO Bernie. So anything the establishment has on him and that they think they can get traction on is coming out
0: well, soon before we end this one that was definitely on display when they were all asked whether they're willing to go with essentially whoever gets the most uh, public votes through the process as opposed to going to the second ballot where right we know the superdelegates start to take control bernie was the only one who said that for obvious reasons because we know he is most likely to be the only one who who will be leading at the end, unless there's a major shakeup in the next month, um, the way this is going to play out. With that, though, um, I just want to give anyone a chance for any final well, thoughts. Well, Elizabeth
1: did have her best fundraising um, yep. uh, day of the year, and uh, Bernie did extremely well as well. And obviously, Brokered Convention is still very possible, and we will want Bernie and Elizabeth both to have lots of delegates in, or, in, in order for that end game to go well, regardless of outcome.
0: With that, we've got to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. on the back end of this. We're going to talk about our spring primary election. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We have to talk about uh, this really important spring primary election we just had on Tuesday. Um, of course, the general is April 7th, and I think everybody, of course, knows that the big race statewide is the state Supreme Court. And the, the big news from the primary was Jill Karofsky got through, but got through with a huge margin over Ed Filone. Um It wasn't really close. Um, she had 37%, and Ed had 13 Obviously, if you total up their votes, it's basically a tie between the conservative and the progressive candidate going into the general election. Um, Just want to get any thoughts folks have about the Supreme Court race. I don't think this is a a shocker. Jill was better funded. um, And she was also very sharp, very clear in her message. And I think it's a message uh, that we here at Citizen Action actually um, are glad to hear, where she's talking about corruption, right? Just flat out calling out the corruption of the court in that Daniel Kelly goes into a case and already knows how he's going to vote based on the money that goes into their campaigns and those relationships, and that's a great that's a, a a great new level of clarity that we have not had candidates really talking about in these races. They end up talking about how they're nonpartisan and independent, right? And it's not very inspiring uh, thoughts on and this. And that's
1: Citizen Action's charge, which which has been in the media. Uh, fairly prominently, not responded to, which is Kelly and his colleagues would have found the lame duck session illegal if it had been a Republican governor, Democratic legislature. You know what? There's ver- no fair-minded person can believe that's not the case, which is why these are not qualified jurists in the least. And I know they say, "Oh, it's all the same that the liberal judges just find the liberal position." No. It's just not true. The problem with the imbalance is that they have ideological hacks as judges, and we have people who may be, may, may be democratic in terms of the voting patterns but actually t- take uh, you know, jurisprudence seriously So and literally find against our cases all the time based on the law or based on precedent. It's just a totally different thing, and that's why it's so imbalanced, because it's not Obama judges versus Trump judges. It's judges versus Trump judges.
2: Mm snap. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I think you're right. Um, and I think the judicial system is one that it's really easy to uh, to not understand because their their impact, uh, their effect is sort of hidden um, and, and people don't always see it. Uh, certainly we talk about redistricting a lot, but there are other things that don't get a ton of attention or if they do, they get really localized attention. Uh, I think environmental and water quality issues are a good example of this. Um, if you don't live um, in the uh, far northern parts of the state, you may not um, you know feel the effect of some of the water quality, or um, mining um, decisions or regulations that that um, the. the um, that the state supreme court uh, rules on, or um, if you don't live near some wetlands um, and or have them near your home and are used to using them sort of recreationally, or or you know for whatever reason follow environmental justice issues, I mean you may not think about the the very frequent rulings um, that the Su- Wisconsin Supreme Court rules on when the DNR um, comes for defending a permit or to to ask for a waiver, um, and these feel like really bureaucratic nuance things but they have uh, our decisions uh, but they have really long lasting effects on our state and our environment and um, it, it it's important that we have justices on the court who are not going to have their decisions already bought and decided because they were funded by uh, mining companies or funded by developers who want to pave over that wetland, et cetera, et cetera. And
1: these are activist judges. So the fake thing that they interpret the law, which is the right-wing mantra, at its original intent, is a lie, everyone. It is a lie. And so literally when the state Supreme Court nullified decades of Wisconsin campaign finance law and court precedent and decided what Walker did uh, to coordinate with outside money groups and uh, literally direct their spending of unregulated dark money as a candidate for governor in 2012, not only did not land you in jail, as most of us thought, but actually scuttled the whole investigation that had been run by uh, district attorneys for a long time and they had the goods on the governor. That's activism, and the same thing's happening in the environmental cases that Claire referred to, they're, they're, they're coming up with doctrines like, if you can't prove that company X caused cancer Y in this exact person, then there's no cause of action, you have no day in court, even if, say, leukemia levels are you know 10 times the national average in this one place where the pollution is taking place, that's not evidence of these people, so that's not interpretation of the law. that's just hack, ideological hackery so. Uh, looking at the
0: race overall in the primary, turnout was was decent. It was it, it was higher than it certainly was in 2018, but uh, it's hard to compare spring primary elections because of the different kinds of races that are on. So the interesting dynamic this year was you had Milwaukee turnout up because of the Milwaukee mayor's race and county executive race and a lot of contested races so turnout was up like 40 some percent here in Milwaukee 42 percent in Milwaukee Um, but also up in the northwestern part of the state you had a very hot uh, congressional race and we want to congratulate our member uh, Trisha Zunker who won the Democratic primary for that open uh, congressional seat in um, District 7 Uh, It is worth pointing out that there were almost two to one, though, more Republican voters uh, than Democratic voters in that primary. Uh, So that also uh, had had an impact on the Supreme Court race, right? So while you may have had, you clearly had surging Republican turnout in a Republican district up there in northwest Wisconsin, but Milwaukee obviously also had a surge. So there was some balancing. I want to say one thing that is worth, and I want to get reaction from the panel, I think last night or last night Tuesday night was was great, really for for setting up winning um, this this Supreme Court election statewide. And part of it is that s- congressional district race. The general will not be on April seventh, so there will not be a surge in heavily Republican areas around a congressional race, like any unusual surge. Whereas Milwaukee will will have some incredibly contested mayoral race. Lena Taylor's going to run a very contested race. It is going to help drive up turnout. We know the mayor will run a race. He's raised a ton of money. And on the county executive side, we have two incredibly strong candidates that have bases and both are going to be resourced and run real campaigns, right? So turnout in Milwaukee could be very high and ought to be high with a lot of the energy uh, given the candidates that have made it through in those two major races. We're talking about um, you know, so th- that is worth considering. I think it does set up at least a decent dynamic going into April. Thoughts from the
1: panel. So when is the uh, special election general for that congressional race, Matt? May twelfth. Okay, but the presidential primary, which is a Democratic, which yeah, also so helps surge our votes. I'm just going to say I never want to disagree with you. Usually, <laughs> an election that'll drive turnout more than the contested. Right, but uh, I'm Milwaukee mayor's race. No, but
0: what I'm saying yeah. though, Democratic well, turnout.
1: There's no primary on the Republican side.
0: I will argue that Alina Taylor, David Crowley, uh, uh, local race, and them running energetic field campaigns in... Milwaukee will impact turnout in a way that sometimes presidential's if they don't may not. Now you're right. Generally, this presidential I think primer, it's really yeah. oh. I think I think it's helpful to have them on the ballot. Oh, yeah, I, they, I hear they, what you're they saying. A mutual
1: feedback. On and that of course, having
0: the Dem one that's statewide, so that's going to impact Democratic turnout statewide. Which I think I, that this is a very good dynamic for I guess I just Democrats. dicker
1: on which order I'd put as far as the driver, but gotcha, yeah. Gotcha Okay, <laughs> Claire. <laughs>
2: Uh, I think I think you're both right. Uh, I think it depends on the part of state we're talking about. No. I, th- I think in Milwaukee, um, I think Matt is right. I think uh, that the county executive and mayoral races are going to be a bigger driver than the presidential primary. And I think in the rest of the state, the presidential primary will be a driver that like, which we, mm. we haven't seen in a long time.
0: Our last contested mayoral race, uh, Barrett versus Pratt, had nearly 50% turnout. That's higher than a presidential.
1: But Robert could be right. Anyways, any other thoughts as yeah, it relates I, I to the... Yeah, I think this is a especially compelling presidential race. But it is. They, they, we're never yeah. going to find out because they're happening on the same day. So it'll be academic which one drove turnout more. It'll be high.
2: I, I think it's 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 a good confluence of events, right? Because nope. um, the presidential folks uh, will have varying ability to do a ground game, so I, I think it helps that you'll have interesting things playing out on TV and on the radio. Um, and and then you'll have local candidates doing a lot of field. So I, I think all of it combined will be will be good for us in general. I
1: think there are likely at least four candidates still in the race with substantial money. That's that's my guess based on my prediction of what would come through Super Tuesday, but we'll see.
0: Well, um, I don't know if anyone has any other thoughts they want to add before we go to break on on this. It is worth I do want to point out some particular elections, right? Like. It is worth pointing out. We're happy Senator Chris Larson, uh, our endorsed candidate, uh, came in first in and the a primary, citizen and obviously, action
1: co-op member, founding yep. member,
0: uh, and that'll be a very contested uh, general election. Uh, and we mentioned Trish Unker up in uh, the congressional race. Big congratulations! Uh, there will be a number of citizen action members on the ballot in April, and uh, we look forward to talking more about that down the road as we get closer to the April election. With that, we are going to take a break here, and we get back. We're going to look a little bit at what's been going on in the legislature this week, and we're also going to talk a little bit more about, uh, Claire mentioned it, uh, in Milwaukee here. We have our own stop and frisk, and it, we think it's worth uh, uh, talking about. So with that, we're going to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin where Citizen Action. Find us at Citizen Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action, and we are going to move away from just talking about the elections and talk a little bit about what happened in the state this week around uh, in the legislature. Uh, It was noticeable if any folks were out at election night parties uh, and you thought you were going to have a visit or see your favorite Democratic Assembly person. uh, You weren't because they were in session, and then uh, yesterday, Wednesday, the Senate was in session. And uh, what I wanted to talk about is, last week, we talked about the bill, that the the tougher on crime bill, one of the worst-named bills ever. Uh, (laughs) Basically, increasing mass incarceration bill that will cost more money passed the Senate last night. Uh, This bill is a stinking pile, uh, but it is the state of where the politics are in this state and we talked about mass incarceration being discussed at the presidential debate but yet here back in our state we're having a conversation about throwing more keeping more people in prison spending more money on prisoners and there ain't much on the other
1: side robert yeah and donald trump's doing more than state democrat republicans and in wisconsin given that he's at least he's doing decarceration for well-connected rich people who are friends of (laughs) his. Rob Blagojevich we see. Yes, uh, exactly. But a lot of Republican red states are doing criminal justice reform because it's a waste of money, for God's fricking sake. Uh, And so Brian (laughs) will handle that. And so... It's just appalling, and we still have because our uh, suburban system in Milwaukee is still the, one of the most Republican and the most segregated in the country. Uh, literally, has these folks in white flight exurbs who literally want to want a demagogue by saying all the problems are. And I'm I'm not making up the language, you know, the things that go on in Milwaukee, right? dog whistle, who, who lives in Milwaukee, right? You mean the people that you want to have no pass tra- mass transit to the job opportunities out in the suburbs, right? And so it's appalling. And this is, this is the nature of the, the, the Wisconsin Republican Party is, used to be a more progressive Republican Party when Democrats Republicans used to do things like build a first-class university system together, uh, you, you know, half a century ago. Now it's one of the worst in the country, uh, it's just appalling. And so the choice could not be st- more stark between the two parties that is in this state. And this is a great example of that.
2: Uh, I agree. And uh, I will add that um, it is, uh, there's no clearer example of the Republican Party being invested in the school-to-prison pipeline than the fact that they took a literal proposal to put money into schools and turned it into funding for prisons. Um, It's just clearly doubling down on these failed... Uh, practices uh, and it doesn't make any any fiscal sense. It's very clearly just tied to fear mongering, um, and as as Robert said, is evidenced by the fact that the state already spends more money um, on uh, <laughs> on each incarcerated person than they spend on uh, students, uh, individual students. Um, and it's it's clearly just a short sighted a short sighted uh, practice uh, because the the return on investment the benefit from investing in children uh, is is so much greater than um, trying to use the fail justice system to do some sort of you know, reform. Um, it's better to prov- it's better to to make people's lives better um, starting as children
1: right next door to us the most demographically and economically similar state to wisconsin are are uh, not identical but our twin minnesota has half the rate of incarceration does not have higher crime rates is able to take all of that money and plow it into actual investments in things like a green economy, like their higher ed and their and their, their uh, K-12 education system, etc. And so you can, you can spend half the money and uh, literally not, not have a higher crime rate. Think about that and have all that money freed up for investments. And no wonder their economy is so much better than ours and so many people from Wisconsin end up moving to the Twin Cities.
2: And I'll, and I'll add that, um, if we needed any starker of, um, uh, proof, I'll say that uh, we needed this funding in education. Cause I'm going to go back on my own personal soapbox about education funding in Wisconsin. Um, there were on this ballot um, on Tuesday, a number of school referendums in other parts of the state, especially in smaller rural areas that are uh, really struggling to maintain their uh, school districts, which are a huge part of, of communities identities um, that, that failed referendums. Um, and, and they're having to go to voters and, and ask to um, to for more money to pay off uh, a debt from capital improvements that they needed to make um, to be able to continue their operations because state funding has not kept up with um, the rates of rising costs like healthcare care mm-hmm. costs um, or or kept up with their need to pay teachers um, a living wage so that they can keep uh, t- quality teachers in their communities uh, and so and so these referendums uh, are popping up all over, all over the state, um, and it is devastating, heartbreaking. One superintendent said, I read in a news story um, when they fail, one fail by I think one vote. Um, it's it's really uh, it's, it's devastating for communities, and the fact that our legislators are not taking that devastation and that heartbreak more seriously, um, it just shows that I think that they've turned their backs uh, on our communities. And, and again, all of this goes back to the fact that well, okay, yes, we live in this super partisan world, but because Wisconsin doesn't actually have a real educational funding system. We have a property tax relief system masquerading as an educational funding system. And that's why we constantly have to go to voters and ask them to blow property tax limits um, to be able to spend more money. And if the state would reform its funding formula, its funding process, or put in the amount of money that we need, we wouldn't have to keep going to voters and putting extra pressure on their property taxes. Although they should want to pay f- more on their property taxes. I want to pay more on my property that... taxes because I think it's better for my community and my property value, but still.
1: Another thing the legislature will never do, and right the right will never do, Paul Ryan used to pontificate about it, but he would never actually do it, and that is peg what they do to outcomes and change if it doesn't work, right? So, our educational attainment, the numbers are, uh, which are, are, we have very high ranked public schools in Wisconsin, really speaking, all went down in the Walker era. You wouldn't know it talking to these folks, right? Because they're so ideological. It That's someone else's fault. That must be Tom Barrett's fault or someone else's fault, right? And you have, we're looking, uh, Matt provided helpfully, the uh, fine press release from Senate uh, Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald. And he wants to be in Congress, right, Matt? Yeah. Yep. I want to actually talk about that when you finish. Yeah. So he says that for the, for the crackdown bills, uh, he says, Wisconsin has seen an epidemic in auto theft and reckless driving, said Mr. Mr. Fitzgerald from Juneau. He said, in Milwaukee County alone there were, and then it just launches into Milwaukee County. Well, that's nice sitting from Juneau. I'm glad he's trying to solve Milwaukee's problems. Maybe he shouldn't strangle the city for revenue every budget cycle so they can't fund basic services and can't prevent crimes before they happen, right? It's also worth pointing out,
0: the senator is actually, as Robert mentioned, running for Congress, and while running for Congress, he's been actually talking about being supportive of some of these Republican efforts to cut incarceration and deal with cost. And so he has been actually talking out of both ends of his mouth. As Robert said, so they're just lying, right? They're just lying about this. And and, and so it, it also shows what you talked about, Robert, that what's going on here in the state with our Republicans is retrograde compared to even what's going on with the retrograde national Republicans. So... Um I, I really wanted us to we talk about think that as, the
1: Texas Republicans are pretty retrograde, but apparently they're advanced compared to ours. Um one
0: of the things that Claire, we just I wanted to make sure we get mentioned before this goes is the, the news out of Milwaukee about the eighty percent of the stop and frisks having essentially no justification at all behind them. And this really uh, is gonna open up Milwaukee to a serious lawsuit.
2: Yeah, so there's already been legal challenges yeah. around Milwaukee's, uh, Milwaukee Police Department's practice around stop and frisk. Uh, and and this is just the latest, um, the latest part of the saga. Uh, and this is a report that was filed uh, by the ACLU uh, that found that the Milwaukee Police Department failed to document a justification for 80% of frisk incidents in the first half of 2019. Uh, so, um uh, wait, I want to take the back. I don't know if that means that the report was written in 2019 or if the stop and frisks happened in, in 2019. So uh, I apologize For that a certain is period unclear. of time, for there's a, a shocking number.
1: Yeah. Um, and per last conversation, the Democrats who all are, again, stop and frisk except for Bloomberg, are going to be here to talk about it in a couple of months.
2: Yeah um and, and so it it's clear that this is a uh, a common practice that it's um a practice that exists across the country and it and so it exists in our state um and 80% is such a high high number that it's clear that this isn't it's not like a mistake. It's it's not as if a few officers um, forgot to fill out some forms or something. It's clearly um, a common practice and, and something that is really spread insidiously through the police department. I wouldn't be surprised if this exists in other areas, uh, and we need to take it seriously. Yeah. And
1: we're way beyond believing that lo- police officers are law enforcement specialists who, based on their scientific understanding, pick out the the evildoers we know it's based on a coding that is uh, that's discriminatory
0: yeah look this is a racist policy it needs to end uh and we have to end this battleground wisconsin um it was uh it was a great show um i want to thank brian Wilbridge our producer who makes this show happen every week so really appreciate your effort brian getting the show together this week we will see you next week at the battleground wisconsin